The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Manager Solutions Investment Committee. Lots to talk about this month, so let's get right into it. First things first, let's remind our listeners that the stock market corrects 5% three times a year on average, and they also drop 10% once a year on average. Where do we stand this year? Well, we had one 5% correction earlier this year. This current drawdown would get us to two. And one other thing to highlight, markets tend to operate with some rhymes and rhythms each year. And that's what we call seasonality patterns. And historically speaking, September tends to be one of the worst months of the markets. And to get even more granular, Buying the S&P 500 on September 16th and holding it for the next 10 trading days has notoriously yielded the worst performance for any 10-day stretch across the entire calendar year. Throw in some negative headlines that have been besieging the markets for good measure. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company CEO Jamie Dimon hinting that rates may need to hit 7%. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari quipping that more rate hikes may be needed. Concerns over a government shutdown, rating agencies, Moody's Investor Services warning about their concerns over a government shutdown, the UAW strike, put all this together, the negative headlines with weak seasonality, and it's no wonder sentiment has flipped to gloom and doom. Add in rising oil prices, a relentless march higher by the U.S. dollar, and bond yields taking the equity market hostage, and it should be no surprise that risk assets were soft throughout the month. So let's dissect a few of these pieces, though. The bond market. We continue to see a relentless march higher in yields. So what gives? Looking at the futures market, investors have been pretty content to price in a backdrop where the Fed is done hiking. And we're in this camp too. The Fed is done. Where there may be some disconnect, the idea for higher for longer. This is something that we've been highlighting for some time now. The Fed's now using the duration lever to attack inflation. It plans to keep interest rates elevated for a longer period of time rather than increasing rates further. Let the data evolve and come to them while remaining restrictive. The Fed has the cover to do so given inflation prints continue to head lower. The disconnect? Looking out at the 2024 futures market, investors were pricing in anywhere from three to four rate cuts in the back half of 2024. Post-September Fed meeting where Chair Powell was adamant about stressing higher for longer, The rates market finally heard the Fed loud and clear and responded with subsequently pricing out one cut and partially erasing odds for a second. With the markets repricing that rates outlook with a higher for longer theme, the curve took note and responded with more of a bear steepener, the long end of the treasury curve rising at a faster pace than the front end. If you listened to last month's podcast, we discussed the bullwhip dynamics and echo effects that are influencing the ebbs and flows in U.S. growth. The fading echo effects of the pandemic-induced disruptions should lead to sequentially declining amplitudes of slowdowns and reacceleration in growth. As we approach the peak of one of the likely last echoes, it seems as though the market has extrapolated that reacceleration into a persistently higher nominal growth world, and with it, higher policy rates and yields across the curve. 
just how far have we repriced that higher for longer? For at least the next five years, the SOFR curve now shows the Fed funds rate staying north of 4% all the way out until mid-2028. And let's take this one step further. If the neutral rate for the Fed is indeed much higher than the 2.5 implied by the dot plot, well, the market has already adjusted to that reality and then some. Tens and 30-year bonds are now trading material wider than the 5-year, five 5-year five overnight index swap rate, a market proxy for the Fed fund rate in five years, something that has rarely occurred over the past 10 years. Yes, it's been a painful repricing, but a lot of the heavy listing has already been done to reprice to that higher nominal growth world that may not come to fruition. The market seems to think neutral is much higher, and perhaps it is in the short run, given the unique dynamics of this cycle, robust balance sheets, strong wage income, continued effects of the strong fiscal response to the crisis, all that. But perhaps the market is just in extrapolation mode, assuming that neutral will be persistently higher for the long run. So sure, some of the moves in the treasury market may very well be driven by the market repricing the higher for longer outlook. But potentially other culprits? Inflation expectations have been pretty well anchored. So it's tough to point the finger at inflation expectations. Real rates have been pushing higher, and when real rates are moving higher and inflation expectations are not climbing in sympathy, that's usually an indication of stronger growth prospects. And this perspective matches the higher for longer mantra. Think about it. Why is the Fed moving to a higher for longer blueprint? Because the U.S. economy is proving stronger than expected. And looking at the front end of the curve, it agrees. The U.S. two-year yield has been pinned to 5% for almost three months now. If the two-year yield reflects the expected path of Fed policy over that time frame, we should be able to glean some information about market expectations. With the two-year not rising, it implies that the market expects the Fed to be on hold. With the two-year yield not falling, it also is saying that's not expecting rate cuts anytime soon, a sign of a resilient economy. This then leaves us with another input, the term premium. Term premium refers to the added yield or risk premium that an investor demands in order to move farther out on the maturity curve. Many things can impact the term premium. Rising coupon issuance, spillover from other central bank actions like the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of England, a deteriorating fiscal backdrop, waning demand for treasuries, a higher volatility regime as quantitative easing no longer is suppressing volatility, a higher inflation risk premium, the list is pretty lengthy. And by most estimates, the term premium has been negative for much of COVID. We are now seeing that term premium move back up to zero, leaving open the possibility for a positive term premium to emerge in the coming weeks and months. And a higher term premium means higher nominal rates. But one thing to highlight, with all the drama in Washington, D.C., the topic du jour is the bond vigilantes clamoring that deficits do matter. So yes, bond yields rising certainly fits the narrative, but if the sustainability of the U.S. fiscal path was really the driver, wouldn't you expect to see the dollar moving lower? Not at all. That's not what we've been seeing. What if term premium moving higher is really the product of elevated rate volatility? Indeed, term premium remained negative throughout much of this volatility spike, but maybe term premium is finally catching up to that volatility that is now being driven by the long end of the curve, not the front end. With so much volatility at the long end, is it any wonder that investors are unwilling to stick out their necks in front of this duration buzzsaw that we're seeing? 
The net result, term premium continues to move higher, pushing nominal yields higher, and around and around we go. The last piece to consider has nothing to do with fundamentals, but rather technicals. Our own fair value models that take into consideration fundamental inputs such as inflation and growth expectations, short rates, global rates, and positioning show that bond yields have overshot. For the record, this combination of inputs has on average explained almost 96% of the move in the tenure historically. This huge overshoot implies that technical factors may be pushing yields past what would normally be considered an equilibrium level based on economic inputs. Recent sediment surveys have shown investors are certainly positioned for long rates, expressing this view through the long end of the yield curve. This leaves the market susceptible to a lack of buyers should bond yields push higher, as positions are already full. With this marginal buyer on hold, momentum and trend-following systems can push yields wider, causing the market technical backdrop to overwhelm the fundamentals. Unfortunately, markets do what markets do, and we'll never really know the catalyst, but the idea is to at least put some thought as to the driver of this relentless selling in the bond market. And when we look around at other asset classes in their performance, we see a different story being told. Rates are higher because growth is accelerating. Someone forgot to tell copper prices, or the broader industrial metal complex for that matter. For all the inflation bugs out there, look at gold. If inflation is on the rise, gold isn't watching. I was never one to buy into the gold as an inflation hedge story, but just making a note here. Cyclicals versus defensives, higher yields tend to see cyclicals outperform. Lately, range bound. We just don't see ancillary asset classes confirming the move in rates. Time may tell very well here, but just looking at the market's mosaic, oh, and the latest one now, China selling treasuries? Nope, poor narrative. China has been shifting from treasuries to agencies for quite some time. And you also need to look at their offshore custody accounts. The big one resides in Belgium. So looking at the flow data, you also need to incorporate holdings in Belgium when aggregating Chinese treasury holdings. And don't forget to mark to market those positions as well. So just by that, you should see the value of those assets dropping, which could be inferred as net selling when it isn't. Great narrative here, but it's just not right. Also not helping things, rising oil prices. And this could be spilling over into the bond market, pushing yields higher as stronger oil prices feeds into higher energy prices, which drives headline inflation. So what's going on with oil prices? Some demand-related issues, but mostly supply-related. Sure, demand for oil has picked up as the post-COVID economy continues to normalize. Air travel has been extremely robust, so it's not surprising that jet fuel demand may be helping to push oil prices higher. And this is the demand side of the equation. But dwarfing the demand component is the supply side. Production cuts announced by OPEC and more specifically Saudi Arabia and Russia have also helped to push prices higher. OPEC and Russia have announced that they will pull more than 4 million barrels a day from the market, making this the largest level of announced cuts in over 20 years. Adding fuel to the fire, Saudi Arabia's 9 million barrels per day output cut placed their production at some 2 million barrels per day lower than where their production was this time in 2022. Normally, higher oil prices that are demand-driven are considered a positive. It's a sign of global growth. And while higher oil prices act as a tax on the consumer, forcing spending normally allocated to other areas of discretionary spending to be repurposed to things like filling up your gas tank, Demand-driven oil surge simply eats away or softens what is already an increasing incremental growth backdrop. However, 
A supply-driven increase doesn't have the luxury of increased growth cushions. Instead, we're seeing higher oil prices biting at a time when the economy is slowly slowing. This incremental tightening of financial conditions is doing more of the Fed's bidding, helping to slow consumption while also pushing rates higher. The cure for high oil prices? Higher oil prices. A sustained push higher is certainly one risk to our more optimistic outlook into the end of the year. And speaking of tightening financial conditions, the U.S. dollar is a wrecking ball right now, a steady march higher since mid-July versus most competing currencies. Since the lows in the trade-weighted dollar back in July, the euro is off almost 6% versus the dollar, and the yen is down a whopping 7.5% through the end of September. Why the persistent strength? We fall back on the dollar smile explanation. U.S. exceptionalism at its best. The first leg higher in the green pack may very well have been associated with interest rate differentials. With the Fed still talking hawkish, the interest rate differentials between the U.S. and the rest of the world certainly favored dollar strength. But fast forward to the more recent strength, and we attribute this to U.S. growth exceptionalism. Money flows to the region that is expected to yield the highest return on investment. And with U.S. growth looking far stronger than the rest of the developed world, this puts upside pressure on the dollar as the return prospects for U.S. dollar-denominated investments looks more attractive than other regions. Interest and growth rate differentials both lean in favor of the U.S. dollar, U.S. exceptionalism. And while all of this is happening, U.S. dollar strength also tightens financial conditions. So where do we stand now? When the calendar flips from September to October and the seasonal headwinds soon turn to tailwinds, and this is all happening at a time when sentiment is downright sour and technicals point towards an oversold market, then this provides a pretty good setup heading into the final quarter of the year. Inflation continues to ease while the labor market's rebalancing and normalizing. The Fed is most likely done hiking, and the economy's continuing to slowly slow. However, the equity market will remain hostage to the bond market. If the bond market decides to impose fiscal discipline on the U.S. government, then equities could very well face headwinds into the end of the year. Oil prices, the dollar, and bond yields all pose risks to the market. Any sustained and prolonged advance in these three concerns could very well shift the sentiment even more dire. What did we do this month? We liquidated our position in home builders and added the proceeds to broad large cap equity. Despite positive fundamentals in home builders and attractive valuations, higher interest rates are casting a long shadow over this group and likely capping any upside potential in the near term. To reiterate our current positioning, the models remain slightly overweight equities relative to fixed income, with a preference towards the United States relative to the rest of the world. The U.S. equity overweight is through domestic large caps and small caps, highlighting the tilt towards cash flow companies in quality and small caps, which has served us well, while maintaining an underweight to international developed and emerging market equities. In fixed income, we remain duration neutral, the benchmark, with an underweight to high quality fixed income in favor of return seeking fixed income. We remain in the soft landing camp with an eye on the risks outlined earlier, namely oil, the dollar, and higher yields. The Fed's on hold, the economy is slowly slowing, labor markets are rebalancing and normalizing, and the technical picture should begin to improve as we head into the final quarter of the year. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Janisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening.
Important information. For listeners outside the United States, Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis. Such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products. Provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, LLC. Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC, POD 37 October, 2023, Ad Track 6002389, 1, 1 expiration date, May 31, 2024.